Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. Regular listeners may recall that we've discussed on previous programs how much information fitness trackers generate in going about their day-to-day tasks of counting how many steps a person takes or what their heart rate is as they work out or how far they ran or biked or even swam. All of that can be really helpful as regular folks try to lose weight or improve their condition or as high-performing athletes try to improve their already heady performances, or as soldiers on bases in dangerous places try to keep fit in limited areas. As with our smartwatches or smart speakers or smartphones, the data that we generate as we interact with our devices often has to go somewhere else to actually be useful. In the case of fitness trackers, The data that the fitness tracker generates is sent to servers far from where we are, as is the case with other personal devices, whether it's to answer a question we ask a smartphone, or to tell a smart TV what we want to watch, or to find out just how many miles we walked today and how many calories we burned. It turns out that an outfit called Strava Labs, in addition to having its own brand of fitness tracker, also amasses GPS data from Fitbit, Jawbone, and other fitness tracking companies. Strava has made a whole pile of that location information available on the web in what it refers to as a global heat map. This map contains over a billion activity points of people wearing fitness trackers around the world. All of this data is, quote, anonymized, of course. In fact, it's all simply metadata. You know, the kind of information the government says it doesn't have to get a warrant to collect because metadata doesn't contain any personal messages. But metadata does contain a lot of information. For example, it's not a big problem to figure out who's jogging on the same route each day when the route starts and ends at a particular person's front door. Take a look at strava.com heatmap you may be surprised, in many ways, at what you see there. You can imagine that even more complicated information than personal jogging routes is also not too difficult to glean. For example, it's not too difficult to figure out the boundaries of a military base, even those that are blacked out from satellite photos for security reasons. You might think that this information would be based on the exercise patterns and the jogging routes of the soldiers on the base. This is one bit of information, but soldiers who wear fitness trackers also go on patrol and even on missions. That movement information is also recorded. The Pentagon has noticed that military bases and the movements in and out of them is quite discoverable on these heat maps. That's why the military is revising policies about the use of fitness trackers and in fact all wireless devices in, for example, zones where there are military operations going on. While it may surprise some that the location and health info generated by their fitness trackers is being collected and used publicly, those who carry cell phones are probably already aware that an enormous amount of information about where they go and what they do when they get there is already collected by their smartphones. And now there's another big source of new data about and new money to be made from us, through our cars. Newer cars are increasingly being connected to the internet. Some insurance companies, for example, are offering cheaper rates if we allow a device to be connected to our cars 
that monitors our driving habits. Lots of folks think it's swell to be able to send and get email or listen to podcasts while they drive or have the kids watch cartoons from the internet in the back seat. At least, we hope it's kids watching the screens in new cars and that they are in the back seat. In fact, research from Gartner indicates that about 98% of cars sold this year will have embedded modems in them so that the cars can access the web while they're moving. Just like the fitness tracker, connected cars will indicate where we go and when we go there. They'll also know things like how fast we go, how often we fill the gas tank and where, how often the car is repaired and for what reason, what we brake for and what we don't brake for. The list is potentially endless. That information can be worth a lot of money and car makers are quietly getting ready to start selling it. A company called Autonomo, for example, is in the business of aggregating data from car companies. In the words of its website, quote, the Autonomo platform powers the first connected car data marketplace to enable auto manufacturers, mobility service providers, and application developers to safely share and integrate car-generated data, end quote which, of course, is really data about the people in the cars. But you knew that, right? No? Well, it might be a good idea to ask about what kinds of data that the car you're looking at buying collects and what the privacy and security policies and practices for what happens to that data are. And perhaps, most importantly of all, can the car owner just turn off the car's data collection? Or better yet, the data generation. Airplane mode does a lot of that on a smartphone. Wouldn't it make sense to be able to do that with your car's data as well? Or, of course, at least for a little while longer, we could forget the whole thing and just buy used cars that don't track us. Convenience is a wonderful thing. So is increased safety, one of the supposed positives that car manufacturers are trumpeting about connected cars. But there's a price for convenience, and it's useful to know what and how much we're paying for that convenience, not only in dollars, but in personal privacy and autonomy. We'll do our best to keep an eye on the total cost that we pay for the digital devices we use in our daily lives, right here on future editions of Notes from the Electronic Cottage. <music> ¶¶